Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to e-commerce with coffee. Uh, today I get to speak with Tim Kakir. He is a growth consultant for brands and tech companies. Um, he also teaches at two universities in Barcelona where he lives. Uh, he's worked with tons of startups over the years. Um, we're going to talk about some of those specific experiences that he's had, um, but really focusing today on how companies need to be restructuring or structuring themselves um, to be competitive moving forwards with digital commerce. Uh, so, Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, Nate. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, really, really excited for what we're going to chat about today. But before we dive into it, um, you're a busy guy. Uh, and you live in a part of the world where they have some of the best coffee ever. I imagine caffeine must play some role in your life. 100%, 100%. I actually, uh, in Black Friday, I made um, I made a good investment and I finally got a proper semi-automatic machine uh, that like I remember I had it in my office a, a few years ago. Uh, I think it's a bit too industrial for the, for the house setting, but you know what? I love good coffee, so now I can just buy beans and no more capsules, no more of that stuff. So I buy a very strong uh, beans and I love my coffee 100%. But I try to limit myself, Nate, uh, two coffees a day. Yeah, I, honestly, I've recently started doing the same kind of thing. But do you just normal pour over? Do you make espresso? How do you like to make the coffee? Yeah, what we call here is cafe con leche, which is, you know, uh, coffee with milk. Uh, I'll foam the milk up a bit and then I'll put my coffee, a double espresso in it. Um, but also another trick that I found out, Nate, if I, if I may share, is that I don't have coffee the first two hours of me waking up. Okay. Interesting. I feel like I've heard other people say that before. Is there a reason? Like what, what? Yeah, yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. There's a, there's a massive reason and it works. Uh, so I had this theory or somebody had this theory and they said, test it out. And I did. So basically, uh, when I was going into office before, you know, first thing was coffee or in the morning was coffee and so on. And I realized I was having three, four maybe five <laughs> coffees to get me going throughout the day. And then somebody told me, said about your circadian rhythm. And I have this ring, right, with the aura ring. So I started to really track my my sleep, my patterns, my energy levels, and so on. And I realized when I don't have coffee, the, it takes about two weeks, obviously, of doing it. If I don't have coffee the first two hours, I have at least one uh, one circadian natural circadian rhythm that goes through and then I can start having coffee. So what does that mean is that after lunch or in the evening, I don't have these, uh, these, uh, dropouts, you know, where I have yeah. the energy going down anymore and, and two coffees is more than enough uh, throughout the day. See, it's interesting. I've been having some trouble sleeping recently, so maybe I need to try that out. I may run it. I may run a uh, trial the next two weeks, and I'll uh, I'll get back to you, Tim. On what <laughs> yeah, please out. keep me updated on that one. And and no coffee after four p.m. That's for me. Yeah, no, that well, yeah, that's another thing that I gotta help myself with. I, love, <laughs> I just love coffee, man. It's an automatic reaction, right? And you know, yeah. I don't work in an office anymore, so I don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> well, you know, diving into what we're actually meant to talk about today, you know, I gave a little bit of an intro, but do you mind talking a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and really how you partner with the brands that you support? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, what I do basically is I call myself a growth consultant. Why do I call that? Um, 
And I want to clear this out because people sometimes think it's growth marketing, growth hacking or something like that. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore because I looked at my background was in sales. My first like career um, was in sales. Then it was in marketing, then a little bit of product. And then I got really into operations. And and by putting that together, I call it a growth consultancy because I don't look at growth just from marketing uh, or just from sales. I look at growth from having the product, have a great onboarding. I also now started a new company on more on the talent side of things. And I look at growth by making sure that we have the right people at the right place with the right tools, with the right processes, the right goals. They will grow your company, right? Your goal as a founder uh, or as a leader is to, is to facilitate this for everybody so that you can really create a great work environment and, and make sure that you give the right tools to, to your team members. And they will grow your company if you do this all, all these steps that I mentioned intentionally. And this is why I call myself a growth consultant. Um, my main, uh, my main kind of industry is B2B SaaS uh, and the tech companies. Um, but uh, I've gotten myself into e-commerce and I love e-commerce. I've, ha I've had the chance to be uh, the chief growth officer of, a, of a quite a big e-com, which was called Planet of the Vapes. That was a really good experience. And um, before that, I was in the tech space, but for e-commerce. So we were building products for e-commerce. So it was really interesting to switch to helping e-commerce brands uh, with their growth as well. And um, that's kind of what I do. And uh, how the partnership looks like usually is um, I coach, I consult, I advise. So I have different types of, of partnerships with my clients. Um, if I really believe in a brand, usually it's we go more in an advisory role and so on, and I'll, and I'll take a little part of it if, if that's uh, what we discuss with the client. If not on the consultancy, I do monthly packages um, on a three-month minimum uh, and giving certain hours of my time. Sadly, I give hours of my time, which I really don't like to put things on in hours. Um, but I haven't found a better way to do that yet. And uh, the one thing that I've realized, the, the hour has been working for the last five years really well because, you know, we don't calculate things in hours, but at least you get a chunk of my time a month where I can really focus uh, to your brand with you. Uh, and usually I focus a lot on the founders um, and team members and not just the brand itself, but making sure that they have the power to grow that brand. Right. And, you know, what's and I'm sure this has changed over time. What size of company do you generally focus on? Do you focus yeah. primarily on startups or does it vary? Yeah. So on the B2B SaaS side of things, I was really into uh, early stage startups. But then I really found the sweet spot was before round A investment or round B investment, uh, because what the companies want to do uh, for their investors or, or you know, they want to look good, first of all. So I help them with data dashboards, tooling, uh, processes, uh, SOPs and stuff like that. But also they want to make sure that they're going to hit those targets that they've they've put together um, with their investors or that they're going to give some goals to the investor. They're going to say like, we want your money because this is what we're going to achieve. So I really am able to help my clients there on a B2B SaaS kind of tech companies. But on e-commerce, what I realized, it's it's really uh, a range. You know, I've had I've had e-coms of five people. I've had e-com of uh, 47 people. Uh, you know, so the size of the team uh, I've seen, I've seen total revenue, yearly total revenue up to 27, 28 million dollars uh, and starting at really uh, 100K uh, a year. Right. So, um, so I usually love that growth period because especially the first three months of our partnership, you will really see uh, a good spike very quickly. And then if you if you continue the, the tooling, the process that we've done in, in 12 months, usually we've we've 
I mean, I don't want to say this because because it happened a couple times, but it, it can happen. We can 10x the revenue. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you're saying it like it's happened before, right? It's not an expectation it, to go it into, is, right? it's but it's possible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, 100%. Um, and, you know, I want to latch onto something you said uh pretty early on, you know, about growth hacking being something that's talked about a lot. But, you know, you focus more on the strategic component, right? It's not about what are these little hacks that we can use to grow in the moment. It's more how can we structure ourselves to grow more effectively, more efficiently, faster moving forwards. Um, you talked a little bit uh, about, you know, it's not just marketing, it's not just sales, it's looking at the whole organization collectively. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that process, right? Because a lot of businesses are really siloed and people are kind of off in their own teams. You know, can you talk a little bit about how you challenge the organizations you work with? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you said it yourself. When uh, departments are siloed, then this happens a lot. And, and, and I love that challenge, to be honest with you, because I really, I really enjoy that chaos. Like, they don't think it's chaos. Most of the companies are like, marketing does marketing, sales does sales. <laughs> I think it's very chaotic because they don't do growth together. They don't do business together. They do business on their own. Uh, and they're very, very siloed. Uh, I've seen this problem many, many times. How I, I tackle this usually, it's it's very basic in the in the beginning. It's let's get together, let's sit down. What are the problems? We might we might do some some um, talent canvases like team canvases where you know what's your strengths, what's your weaknesses, you know what's the values that you value personally and professionally, and then start finding that people start sharing the same kind of values even outside work and even in work, right? And then we're we're starting to see that their goals are very similar as well, right? It's like if you, if it's MRR. Uh, uh, monthly recurring revenue or total sales for you it's the number of leads and for customer support is the mps score or customer support right uh, ratings and so on trust pilot and so on. at the end of the day the goal is the same it's to grow the company <laughs> you know when you when you put it that that simple you know you say guys Every, we're all working for the same reason. We're trying to grow this company. You know, uh, do we believe in the mission? That's very important. If you believe in the mission of the company, then then things are even easier. But then what we do is after done uh, these um, talent canvas models or team canvases, the different kind of models that we do, different workshops that I do. Now I say we because I actually have a team behind me. Um, and I started this company that we do that together with a bunch of other people. Um, and, and, and what we do basically is that from there on, we'll be able to even start running another workshop, which I call the organizational structure workshop, understanding each team member's activity. And when I call activities, basically your day-to-day -day processes, SOPs that you run, things that you have to get done. When we start mapping all this out, suddenly everybody sees how more how difficult somebody else's job is and then suddenly they, they, they feel for that person suddenly empathy starts coming into play right and when that, that when that comes in we're able to align these people when we start to align these these team members together then their output is is much greater on 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 listing their activities then they suddenly see that there is no link they're kind of doing something similar but there's no link between them. They don't update each other between them. And then we start mapping out these links, right? So which activities link to which activity? And when we start doing that, automatically, um, there is many more steps to it. Automatically, you're starting to have a proper um, a proper matrix on who's responsible for what and who's expected of what, uh, which KPI they should be tracking and so on. And then when everybody starts seeing each other's uh, role in the company, um, we're able to really, um, as mentioned earlier, align them, but actually document that, right? It's not just aligning in the back of your head and it's like, oh yeah, I know what he does. No, it's like, I can actually open up a document, right? And look at 
who's doing which activity, which KPIs they're responsible of, which technology in our company uh, they're using, and why are they using this, right? And then we're able to create little shapes, and the little shapes are basically teams, right? And then we start doing the shapes of, of management, of reporting, of, of, of layers of, of management. Uh, and then usually I try to flatten a bit the hierarchy. That's kind of one of the thing that I really love to do as well. Um, and, and in that way, we start becoming what I call a, a mission-driven community, right? And when we become this mission-driven uh, community, collectively, we suddenly put all our intelligence into play, right? We, we put our creativity, we put our ideas, uh, we start sharing the problems that we're facing in the company and what the company or my team, my department is facing day to day as well. And when that starts happening, this is where I, I figure that um, it's the best growth. And so you just talked about something, and I know you've you've mentioned collective intelligence, right? You do a lot of research, obviously, the clients that you work on, that you or work with, that you've worked with in the past. Um, can you talk a little bit about this idea of collective intelligence and how you apply it in this yeah. framework? Yeah, yeah, uh, Nate. It's a it's a it's not a new topic now. I'm gonna say because it's about two three years that I'm I, I'm very focused in it. Uh, before that, I wasn't focused, but apparently I was kind of trying things the similar. Uh, but uh, the last two to three years, I definitely been like, okay, collective intelligence is a topic for me. And and what collective intelligence is, uh, what I've realized is, is basically we hire all these team members. We pay amazing salaries sometimes, hopefully, hopefully pay good your team members because they're important, right? <laughs> we, we bring these people together to, to make sure that we get the best out of them, to get their ideas, to get to get what they have, right? And what we do usually, it's, it's not just siloing departments, but we also silo people, right? We, we, we put them in a box, right? We really put them inside this box and then we're like, think outside the box. You can't think outside the box if you're inside that box, right? But when we collectively... I know each other's work, that intelligence gets stronger. Because I don't think about marketing if I'm a marketing manager anymore. I think about my sales manager and I think about my product manager as well. And together, we're able to discuss things that are are much more valuable, right? So I have a framework as well that I'll, I'll touch upon on it if, if you want, uh, to, to be able to create this this intelligence. I've been working on a framework that I've been testing with my clients. It's been working really, really well. Um, and this is why I'm quite vocal about it now uh, on a podcast and videos and webinars. It's because I'm writing a book about this, Nate. I'm writing a book about a framework um, which I call the GCO framework. And, um, you know, if you're interested, we can talk about that. But that yeah. is how I bring that collective intelligence together, making sure, uh, first of all, everybody's aligned. Everybody knows what they're doing uh, together and why they're doing it and how they can communicate. And, and then we, we implement this framework. Right. I I don't personally envy anyone who writes a book because I don't know if I would have this, this, the mental stamina to do it. But I'd imagine when it's something that you've been talking about and, and preaching and evangelizing for years, probably makes it a little bit easier to write the book, I would venture to guess. Uh, well, yeah, hopefully. I mean, um, I had <laughs> this is a bit this is a bit interesting is that uh, I've had the chance, as, as you said, uh, of being a, a professor, a teacher of, uh, of university uh, and uh, usually master degrees. And um, I usually offer my team member, uh, my students, my team members, my students um, projects that are real projects. Uh, you know, I don't tell them, oh, let's work on Coca-Cola's marketing or anything like that. I tell them, you know, here are some projects I'm working on. Here's what's in my mind. Would you guys like to work on this? And, and usually I do a lot of project-based uh, learning programs. That's the type of uh, teaching that I do. So I had the chance on my business intelligence uh, program uh, course to, uh, to ask all my students if they would like to get involved 
in a research for me and, and and the research was was a few topics one was collective intelligence one was goal setting one was challenges and issues in companies and how they can speak up about this and so on so we had about five uh, five topics i'm not going to tell all of them because uh, they'll be on the on the book uh, but i had uh, a big chance to have about 20 25 very very smart students that i still speak to and they will be mentioned on my book um and they've brought the research to me and we've discussed it for about uh it was a seven week program and um you know we discussed this all the time we did workshops around it we did the research so so i would like to thank everybody that has been involved in this is not just me personally because it's collective intelligence so i want to make sure it's collectively uh put together yeah no absolutely so uh when when should the book be expected to come out have you started writing it yet or is it yeah i have lots of drafts <laughs> i have little like drafts about every topic uh, in places on my notion workspace um i was gonna write it for the first half but um i became a father uh so so now i have <laughs> thank you so now i have a baby to take care of and things have changed a little bit but uh the goal is still this year but uh it'll be the second half of the year possibly the fourth quarter very cool well lots of exciting lots of exciting things happening um well, so, you know, you just talked a minute ago about, you know, you, you come in or the brands come in that you work with, you know, you bring everybody to the table. Obviously, you don't know what you don't know that you help bridge the silos the teams have been in previously. But when you actually get down to it, what in your experience are some of the most common operational problems or challenges that these businesses realize that they're facing once they've all had that communication? Are there any similarities that you can think of? Yeah, there is a lot. It, it's these links that I mentioned. Usually people uh, row in different directions. Even if you put OKRs or, or certain goals, everybody's rowing in the different directions and it's pulling the company to the side, pulling the company to the other side and so on. And it's never, you know, rowing like an Olympic team in the same direction. And to create that is to really uh, to link everybody together and, and make sure that to take off some of the uh, you know, the double work, people work on things that we could just get together and work faster and achieve things faster instead of you working on your own and me working on my own at the end. So that's number one. But the number two is that the same issues keeps happening in companies. And, and, and we do a lot of quick solves, like quick, quick hacks to solve this, right? And we never document this, we never documented and then and then speak to every team member about it, communicate this and actually uh, put this in place in place so the documentation is always a huge problem um, what I call more the knowledge management knowledge management is never there or or is there but it's, it's really they're like oh yeah we have Jira we have Asana we have Confluence it's like oh great what do you have there you have technical documentation for your clients or for partners uh, you have tasks or how you start a project that's great but do you have what was the issues that we had last month? Do you have uh, do you have the decisions that were made in the last year, right? And this I want to underline it. Why do I say this? I, I've I also um, start putting a decision journal. Uh, I help my clients have a decision journal, right? Making sure that if you've made a decision, um, let's say a month, six months ago, you, you learn something from that, right? Uh, but we don't document these learnings. We don't have these learnings. We make decisions and we hope for the best. We're like, oh, yeah, that worked. That didn't work. If you start uh, documenting your decisions and you have a decision journal and you know why you've decided that and when are you going to check these decisions, you start learning from these. And, and, and these learnings has to be um, communicated, amplified to the whole team. And then we don't do the same errors. And, and we should do errors. We should fail. But let's keep failing on new things. 
let's not keep failing on the same things that we fail. And that's kind of where I think that uh, the big leverage is right away is to make sure that you have a great knowledge management platform and document these decisions, uh, collective, uh, collectively make these decisions as well. You know, as a CEO, usually what happens, the CEO says, yeah, I know, I know I'm going to make this decision. Great. You have a team of 40 people. Why don't you ask them what do they think about this decision as well? Right, and you, you'll you'll find some some very interesting input from your team members. Uh, when that happens, I think that this is a common problem that companies don't do. No, and that's absolutely fair. But so you know, they they come to this realization. They have a million things that they've identified that they could start doing or do better. How do they actually go about? prioritizing, right? We've talked about OKRs and KPIs. Yeah. You know, some people listening obviously know what those are. Maybe talk a little bit about how those actually get used and, you know, how do you build a meaningful yeah. goal to actually drive the company forward? Yeah, so uh, OKRs are obviously objectives and key results. Uh, KPIs are key performance indicators so that I open up for everybody. And, and sorry, sometimes I forget that we, we have to open up these. Um, and uh, basically, KPIs, the key performance indicators, are numbers that you can't actually set goals. They're things that happen, right? That you look on a dashboard. There are numbers that are going up or down and so on. And objectives and key results are basically the objectives that you have. They're more aspirational, right? Uh, a bit more comes down from your mission, uh, these objectives. Uh, and then you have key results. With key results, obviously, are a set of those KPIs that you're trying to bring 20% uh, up, uh, 10x it, or whatever, right? Um, so that works quite well. Um, but as you said, there is a prioritization missing there. Um, to run OKR workshops and be able to implement OKRs takes, uh, if you're new to them, it takes two to three quarters for a company to do, to do them really well. And every quarter, it takes you a few sessions uh, of like two, three hour meetings and so on with different departments to be able to set these uh, objectives and key results. But still the prioritization comes just from that team getting together and be like, yeah, these are, you know, this was the objective of the company. These are the key results we should drive to achieve these objectives. Again, it's very siloed as well. So the OKR methodology, it's, it's, it's very cool methodology. Um, and I thank them for, for having this methodology because that inspired me to create my own framework, which that's when I should open up is now, I, I think, is uh, GCO, uh, Goals, uh, Challenges and Opportunities. This framework yeah. basically encompasses uh, the OKRs. So we have objectives and key results are in goals. They're a little bit more simplified, right? But then I bring these two new levels into the into the framework and, um, and that's challenges, right? The first one is challenges. And the challenges is basically your issue log, your problems that are, uh, that are happening in your company. You document them, uh, you, you highlight them, uh, you communicate them, you amplify them with your team, right? And then everybody starts seeing what are the challenges what are the issues what are the problems what are the blockers in the company right uh, and then uh, the most creative part and the the more fun part i think is the opportunities it's your ideation session it's your experimentation backlog right here we create opportunities towards those challenges towards those goals we create new opportunities and every team member gets a say because it's not in a meeting only it's in a, in a framework that is in a tool, in a platform that you're able to uh, put these on your free time when you get inspired and so on. You can start writing the opportunities. You can tag it to a, to a challenge. You can tag it to a goal. And suddenly we have the, the, the goals, the challenges, the problems that we're facing and the opportunity to overcome these challenges. And that brings you to um, what I call uh, sustainable growth. Yeah. Well, I, I love... 
I've, I've been reading a lot about this and hearing a lot recently, just the idea of frameworks, right? Where even just in your daily life, you can apply frameworks to just quickly solve problems, right? There are things that come up in your day-to-day that, you know, you've probably solved a million times previously. If you can apply that framework, then you save that time and you can be confident in the decision you're making. So I, I love everything you're saying there. Um, but so now if we're thinking in the context of, you know, businesses that have to, you know, transition their business model, right? Mm-hmm. Whether a company's focus is e-commerce or they traditionally sell retail, wholesale, whatever, every company's starting to have to focus on digital, right? That's mm-hmm. pretty much just a given. Now, are there any specific shifts or restructurings that go on in these particular situations that you think are, you know, maybe notable or, you know, have unique commonalities from some of the other situations we've been talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get into uh, into tools, I think, and the platform software. Yeah, please. It's when a company wants to digitalize themselves, they really believe that everything are tools, like and all tools should are great tools, and they start being like, oh, we need tools here, we need tools here, we need tools here, we need these tools, we need th- that tools. And then, again, they don't integrate these tools, so they silo these tools, right? Uh, the data is different. Uh, there's discrepancy uh, between them. Uh, there's a lot of problems starts facing. So... So I think that this switch to digital world or switching business models, innovating on your business model is usually done reactively, right? It's because what's happening around the world, we're like, oh, okay, let's react ASAP, right? And when we react, we sadly don't make the best decisions, right? Um, So I think that the best approach would be to be more proactive about it and actually strategize and understand which tool for what reason, for who. Again, it goes back to the organizational structure a little bit, which activities will be run by this tool, how will it be linked to another uh, team member and how it will link to, to, to the tool that they use, right? Uh, so I think that's the common problem there. And you've you've said it just before and I didn't really answer that clearly, but it's the prioritization. It's, it, it's a very difficult topic for everybody. Still for me as well, even personally with my family, you know, even at work and so on. And there is amazing prioritization frameworks out there, right? There's RICE, you can check it out. It's a prioritization framework. There's ICE, which is impact, confidence, and ease. There's, there's this type of prioritization frameworks out there available for us, right? And these prioritization frameworks, when we get good at them on scoring things, we do the right, uh, we take the right decisions or we test the, new, the the right experiment because we prioritize that. So this is why I think on, on, on GCO, I put inside the opportunities, you have to score every opportunity. We, you have to bring a prioritization framework and you have to score every opportunity towards the challenges and towards the goals. And then you really find out what's going to be the most impactful and where you have the most confidence and the easiest idea or the opportunity is going to be the one that wins, right? And you, sh- you can do that, as you said, for even your personal life. Right, uh, you can you can do it if you're creating an event uh, for for your wedding. I'm 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 starting to design my wedding. That's why I just got into that topic. <laughs> um, we have a baby, but thanks to COVID, we still couldn't get married. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so 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 even in that, I start using frameworks, and I'm obsessed about frameworks, Nate, because you've you've said it yourself. If you know a framework and you get good at this framework, it's it's a tool set. You know, it's like it's like having a Swiss knife in your pocket, right? You're like, oh, I have a framework for that. Oh, I have a framework there. What does it do? Less anxiety, right? So you're not anxious anymore because you know what you're going to do. You're going to run the framework and whatever comes out of the framework, that's what you're going to do, 
right? So it really gives us more space in our head so that we can focus on more of the high cognitive uh, tasks, right? Which is more creative things. And, and the rest should be framework, should be processed anyways, because, you know, those are the things that the machines, hopefully one day will do that for us automatically. And, you know, everybody gets scared and they're like, oh, what if the machines take my job? No, they're not going to take your job. They're going to do the silly things that we should not keep repeating and keep doing all the time. Less humans be creative. Let's design the world. Let's design the future. That's what we should be focusing on. But sadly, we are firefighters all the time. And, and you know, and, and, and we're always very reactive. You know, we have to change our mindset to be a bit more proactive. No, I, I love that. And I think that that encompasses it really well, right? People are presented with a problem and try to solve it. They aren't necessarily always thinking proactively to the future of, you know, what do I need to arm myself with, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, one other topic that I wanted to make sure we touch on is the idea of like a rebrand, right? And I think that's a, a very large overarching topic. But, you know, I would position that, you know, once a company has gone through a lot of this process, they, they've restructured themselves, they probably need to go through a rebrand. Mm -hmm. But that could mean a lot of different things. So maybe what in your mind is a rebrand really, especially in this context? Mm -hmm. Um there's a couple of things here. If you already had a brand, and that means that hopefully you have certain type, uh, some sort of community, right? You have clients, you have partners, you have team members, their community, right? They know your brand, and, and if you've been successful or, or not too successful, and that's why you want to rebrand, that's okay, right? On collective intelligence, you have a few things, right? One is crowdsourcing. Right. So you can actually sort a crowdsource your idea about your new brand. You can ask them. You can you can create surveys. You can send out surveys to to clients. If you're active on forums like Reddit, Quora, you can ask others. Uh, if you're on other communities, Slack groups and so on, you can ask them as well. And really don't design your brand because you had the vision uh, in the middle of the night and you're like, All right, we're rebranding to this. That's great. It's a great start. But make sure to to, to kind of sanity check that, right? And, and make sure that other people sees what you had with that vision. And and so that's the first thing that, you know, don't rebrand just because you want to rebrand. Rebrand because there is a reason to rebrand, right? Um, and then try to understand what would pe people, how, how would people react with this new rebrand, right? Uh, what does your new brand mean to them? Right? Show them uh, some designs, some drafts, and tell them this is where we're going and this is why we're going. Make sure that your brand comes down from your, your mission, vision, values as well, right? Because then it's going to be a, a better brand. It's going to be more, and, and then you're going to have it longer. Hopefully, you won't have to rebrand again, right? But rebranding, it's a pain. It is a pain. I've done it. I've, I've done it multiple times. Uh, I've done it in some really, really very, very bad conditions as well. And, um, you know, it really means switching. Uh, your messaging, your 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 logo, your colors to something else, and if you already have a community that believe in that, you might lose them in in, in the switch, right, in the rebranding. So make sure that you're not losing them, and that's by bringing them with you and saying, hey, let's do this together, right? Let's do this collectively, and if we do that, you're gonna be much more successful. And as you know, there is this build build in public and so on, rebrand in public. I haven't seen uh, rebrands in public yet. You know, rebrand in public. Let's see that. I think that's going to be much more successful. What would be your um, favorite example of a rebrand? Whether it's one that, you know, you've partaken in or just one, you know, historically that you like or that you think uh, is important. 
Oh wow. Okay, so I'm on the spot with this one. So historically, maybe not, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, with something that I've done. Uh, I mean, uh, I was forced to um, with my team. Is I had just moved to Barcelona. This was about six six years ago. I just moved to Barcelona from uh, from London, UK, to Barcelona, Spain, and a company basically you know, uh, got me a job from London and they said, hey, we want you to move here. We want you to move uh, your family. Back then, my, my, it was just my fiance and I, she was my girlfriend back then. And we had a dog and we're like, okay, yeah, we'll do the move. And, and we did the move. I started the first day. Uh, it was an awesome day. It was sunny Barcelona after London, uh, just a seven minute walk from my home to the office, you know, got my croissants, orange juice, it's sunny and so on. I come to the office, they do a little bit of an onboarding, welcome, but we had we kind of did that on, on calls before anyways. And they're like, well, welcome. <laughs> Your first challenge is you have two weeks to rebrand the whole company. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, you got two weeks because in two weeks we have a very big conference. And, uh, and we just got a, a letter from an American company um, that they're going to want to sue us if we don't if we don't change our re our brand uh and um you know we were we were called back then network polygraph uh it was a big data for telcos uh technology and we were called network polygraph and we had two weeks to rebrand uh because if not we're gonna not miss our spot on the on the conference but we would look with the old brand and then we're gonna rebrand after or it would that look very yeah messy. right so i had this two weeks uh time frame to rebrand, create a new website, a logo, new colors, launch it, make sure everybody knows it, all the clients, everybody knows when they log into the dashboard, why it changed and so on. Um, yeah, we had two weeks. It was it was the best challenge I've had. It, one of the best challenges I had in my life, to be honest. And, uh, you know, and we did it successfully. Yes, the company uh, became Talaya. And then I think about two, three years later, we got acquired. And uh, it was a it was quite a, good, a success story, that rebrand. That, that's awesome. And, you know, God, I feel like we could probably probably have a whole other conversation just about that example. But um, <laughs> how the one question I have, how did you or, you know, whoever ultimately did this quantify the outcome of that? Right. Of mm. the success or, you know, the overall, you know, how did the, how was it measured quantitatively? Yeah. Well, wow, that's a great question. I mean, uh, our first goal wasn't to quantify that. Our first goal was not to, to, to get sued for millions. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that was the <laughs> it's a secondary thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that was like, if we get sued 10 million, <laughs> you know, that, that's the, that's the, that's, um, you know, that was quite important. But how we did it, I think it's, uh, it's, um, we went to the conference and it was a bit more not pure tracking online because we were in a conference, it was offline, right? We kind of quantified on seeing the people who comes to our, our booth and the people that didn't know that we've done it, right? Because maybe they didn't see our newsletter or they were not in our newsletter, but they knew our company, especially because of the local tech scene. And they were like, looking at it, looking at it. And then look at the product. They're like, oh, aren't you Network Polygraph? And we're like, yeah. And we changed to Talaya. They're like, oh, wow, this looks much better. And we're like, oh, why do you think this looks better? And then we would ask questions. So it, was, it wasn't, uh, it, I think it were more qualitative, right? But uh, how we did is at the end of the conference, we had a lot of leads uh, in quantity that we didn't expect, even uh, previously with the brand that we had before, the year before. So um, we realized that it spoke more to people because there was a meaning more. Talaya meant a watchtower, right? Uh, in the local language, in the Catalan language. Um, and, and the watchtower, basically the technology we had, it was like a dashboard that watched 
the tower of internet in your office in your in your office or you have 50 offices and they would track the data and understand and you'd, you'd see into the data so we really created a story behind it about the watchtower talaya and how it does that network polygraph was good it was very technical and you, it was it spoke a lot to network engineers which that was our target as clients um, but the decision makers weren't uh, weren't them right the decision makers were the CEOs were the COOs were 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 the CTOs right and suddenly the watchtower the talaya the history of it behind it spoke much more to them and we also possibly quantified uh, um, the switch because we actually had a new platform that came with it because of the brand and so on. We did a duplicate and we switched 100% of our clients. Um, and, and that was a tick, you know, that was that was like, I remember we went to karaoke. I took the CEO and the CEO we went to karaoke and then we had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> you had to celebrate the big win. No, uh, I love that. And you raise an interesting, a very interesting point, right? That, you know, people are often thinking about who, well, especially in the B2B world, who they're selling to. But a lot of the times it's not the end user, right? It's the person who actually is ultimately going to sign on the dotted line. So I think that's a, that was an interesting point that you made there at the end. Um, well, well, Tim, th this has been a fascinating conversation. Personally, I've learned a lot. Um, where can our listeners get in touch with you if anything we talked about resonated or, you know, they want to pick your brain a bit more? Yeah, yeah. I used to give a, a bunch of uh, links and so on, but I don't do that anymore. Um, basically, uh, this year, I'm my goal is to 10x my LinkedIn reach. So I will give my LinkedIn is Tim, T-I-M, and Kakir, which is C-A-K-I-R. So if you put Tim Kakir... Um, on, on LinkedIn, you'll find me possibly uh, very quickly and follow me there because uh, I'm active every day. I have a post every day now. Um, I also post about my newsletter there. You can find on the about section my newsletter and other things that I share. But the main the main channel is my LinkedIn at the moment. So please uh, go to LinkedIn, uh, follow me. I also have a free link there to book a meeting with me where you can uh, tell me some of your problems, challenges, and I can try to uh, problem solve with you quickly or I can at least try to direct you into the right direction. I love that. Um, you know, one thing that the community, the e-commerce, digital commerce community needs is people who are just there to be a resource and to help, right? So um, I love that. We'll make sure to include it in the show notes. But Tim, been a fascinating conversation that we've had and uh, look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thank you very much, Nate, and everybody listening um, and watching. Um, I'd love to come back when the book is ready. Yes, absolutely. We'll make that happen. <laughs> it's a great chat. Thanks for sharing so your time with us, Tim. <laughs> Thanks. That's it for this episode of e-commerce with coffee powered by Amber engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.